Be seated. <laughs> Preach. Preach the word. All right, that's exactly what we want to do in the book of Luke today. In the book of Luke, I just want to say uh, one thing before that that, well, actually, I'll say two things. Glory in excelsis Deo. What does that mean? <laughs> Glory to God in the highest. On the count of three, let's say it all together. One, two, three. Glory to God in the highest. That's what we were just singing. Part of the glory to God in the highest, uh, there's, and we're going to talk about that today, there's a lot of it, but part of it comes through our lives. And I'm proud, you guys don't necessarily, most of you don't know these two people, but I'm really proud of my parents, Ron and Connie Duncan. And I'm proud of them because they're celebrating their 50th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say to all of you who are married and you got kids and grandkids and you think, well, they don't call very often. It doesn't matter very much. I want to tell you something. It matters. It matters that you're married and that you're living your life in front of them. And so this next weekend, I'm telling you all that to say, this next weekend, Amy and I and Josh and Raina, we're all going to head over to Fort Worth where we're going to celebrate their 50th anniversary. I'll be gone next Sunday for that celebration. And the guy that's going to preach to you, his name is Matt Clark. And I am so excited for you guys to hear from Matt Clark, to share this young man with you. He's, he's related somehow to Nell and Rex. I'm not going to try to tell you how it is because I don't know, but he's related to them. And, but don't hold that against him, okay? He's still a good guy, and uh, he is so full of the Holy Spirit. He's the preacher in Grants, New Mexico, and he's agreed to come over to next week to, uh, to preach. So you guys will look forward to that, and he'll be in, in the next part of Luke. Uh, okay, well, we're in this study that is in uh, the book of Luke, and this is going to be titled Encountering Jesus. That's going to be the theme for our study, Encountering Jesus, a series about people who met him. A series about people who met him. The book of Matthew was originally written probably to the Jewish people. Matthew was writing to try to convince the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Mark, the book of Mark, another story about Jesus was probably written to the Romans, written to the powerful people in the world. And so, so Matthew is full of all these Old Testament prophecies and all these things about Judaism and all this teaching of Jesus because obviously you want to have a rabbi, a teacher, who's going to be the Messiah. Mark is full of powerful, powerful miracles. Most of them done just like Yes, go. Like that. You know, Jesus just like, whoosh, whoosh, you know, like that. Kind of like, well, Rome, they've got mythical Greek gods, right? So these, these authors are trying to speak to their audience, just like anybody would. Luke. Luke is written probably to Gentiles, people who are not Jews. 
And, and it would make sense because, as far as we know, Luke is the only writer of the New Testament who's not a Jew. He indeed is. He is a Gentile. And, and it was written, this was written for, to a person named Theophilus. Theophilus. That's what the beginning of the book says. Uh, dear or most, uh, well, I don't remember what it says. Thank God it's still there. Let's look at it real quick. Luke, uh, let's see, Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 4, I think, or 3. Um, yeah, most excellent Theophilus. And he's writing down an account. He's not a person who was an eyewitness. He wasn't an apostle. He didn't know Jesus face to face. Luke didn't. He's a doctor. He's a physician. But he knew Paul. And he, he lived just a little while after Jesus, or, or he's writing a little while after Jesus died. And, and so he knows a lot of people who knew Jesus, and he's getting eyewitness accounts. And he's going to go on in the book of Acts, and he's going to travel with Paul. He's going to write the book of Acts. Luke is going to write both of these books, a huge part of our New Testament. And he writes to Theophilus. The, the name Theophilus means, there you go, lover of God or God lover. That's what Theophilus means. There are some theologians who think that actually Luke wasn't writing to a real person. But instead he's writing to God lovers. To you. A bunch of Gentiles. A bunch of non-Jews. I don't know, there may be some Jews in here. You're welcome if you're here. You know, we're glad you're here. It's fine. No problem. But, uh, but, but probably most of us are, are Gentiles. And that's who this is written to. It's written to Gentile people who were not a part of the original promise, the original people, saying, hey, you lovers of God, listen up. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. And the theme verse for this book, in the book of Luke, that you could choose any theme. It doesn't say it's the theme somewhere in the book. I chose it as the theme, all right? So that's the way I'm going to look at this book, is that Luke chapter 19, verse 10, says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Luke's going to say, Jesus didn't primarily come to be a great teacher. He didn't primarily come to do big miracles. He didn't primarily come to be a moral person and set an example for us. That is not his primary purpose. His primary purpose is this. Seek and save lost people. Seek and save lost people. And so the book is full of lost people. The book is full of people that are on the fringes. The book is full of stories about people that are in the margins. The book is full of people who are kind of rejects. They don't really make the grade. We'll talk about that as we go through this series. I'm hoping, I'm just going to say one more thing. About, well, I'm going to say something at the end, but I'll say something else real quick about this card. I hope you got a card at the beginning. There's some more uh, right here. If you didn't get some, I'm not sure why they put them up here, but that's okay. They're right there, and if you didn't get one, you get one after church. And, and here's the reason that we're doing this. In the fall of the last several years, we've been trying to study a book of the Bible together. And so Dennis is teaching this book in his class, and I believe Geneva is teaching this book. And the teens are studying this book. The kids are studying this book. We're all studying this book. I think uh, with the exception of Carl, he's going to be teaching a class on marriage. And other than that, we're all going to look through, we're going to read through the book of Luke. Because we believe, as leaders at this church, that it's important for us to find time and space and carve out some room for God's word in our homes. 
Can I say that again? And maybe you guys could respond in some way if you want to. We think it's important for God's word to be given space in our homes. Right? Okay. And, and, and there's too many other distractions. There's too many other things. And, and a lot of times we just don't get there. So we're trying to find ways to encourage you to do that. The last couple of years we wrote a little book and we took the book home and you could fill out, fill in the blank. This year we're going to do cards. So for 12 weeks you're going to get a mission card every week. We'll have a devotional written on one side by somebody in our church. And on the other side, it'll have Mission Possible. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we hope one of the missions every week is that you'll read. So this week, I hope you'll read Luke 1 and 2. We've studied Luke 1 and 2 here at church. And now we hope you'll read Luke 1 and 2. We're doing that a little backwards. Usually we read ahead. This year we're going to read backwards so that you get to reflect on what you've learned. So that's your assignment this week. Luke 1 and 2. And there's a memory verse there. And there's a mission. And we'll talk about that right when we get to the end. came to seek and save the lost and so because he came to seek and save the lost well well, what is it that's lost people are lost and so jesus was around people jesus was around people a lot he was not a hermit he was not a monk his encounters with these people made amazing impacts on their life and so we're going to spend this fall looking at these encounters 12 encounters with people And we're going to ask God to encounter our own heart so that along the way he might impact us in significant ways. And we're going to ask him, help us, God, as we go out of these doors and we walk into our community and our families and the places where we work and and out into the Walmart and the places we go and we shop and the places that we are in in this village, help us, God, to have an impact like you did. Because we are today the body of Christ. Today, we're going to look at the very first group of people who encountered Jesus. The very first group that got to meet Jesus. And that's going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you're not there already, open your Bible to Luke 2. And while you're turning there, I just want to talk to you about one other thing real quick. And that is about singing. Okay, I've got to talk to you about singing real fast. And that's this. Have you ever thought about how it's, it's kind of strange a little bit how we like to sing songs together? You ever notice that? And some of you don't like to sing very much, but sometimes you can't help yourself occasionally. You know, some of you are like, I'm a horrible singer. I don't ever sing, you know. But then sometimes something happens and you're like, I can't help myself. I had to jump in. Maybe it's happy birthday, you know, and you're there. And even though you're like, happy birthday to you, you know, you're like, I had to sing anyways because I love that person so much. And everybody was singing and I just had to join in. See, singing does that. It makes us kind of a part of the, the community sort of. It, when you sing, it brings unity because you have to sing together. You can't run and sing ahead of everybody else. You have to listen to other people. You have to respond to the people around you. You have to stay in rhythm with people. And singing somehow or another builds some community. Maybe for you it's your school alma mater. You know, maybe you go back to your reunion and it's kind of cool. You, you haven't even thought about it in years and you like to sing your school alma mater. Some of you not so much. Maybe, maybe for some of you teenagers, don't you guys sing the alma mater on Friday nights after the football game? Hey, hey teens, do you guys do that? Do the football players, do they come over and sing? The teenagers don't know, or they are thinking that I'm stupid. So, um, somebody said it is their alma mater? 
Yeah, well, it might be. I, they all come over, and they take their helmets off, and they all do something, you know, and everybody does it together in the stands, and I assume they were singing the school song. I don't know the school song here in Rodeau, so I guess I should. But maybe for you it's not that. Maybe it's the Star-Spangled Banner when you're at an event, and somebody starts singing the Star-Spangled Banner, and maybe you're like my mother-in-law, and you just join in. It doesn't matter where it is or whatever. She just, you know, you know, I hope she doesn't listen to this on the Internet. But anyways... Um, <laughs> And, and it means something to you. I mean, it means something about our freedom, or it means something about the sacrifices that have been made. And maybe if you're a Boston Red Sox fan and you've ever been to Fenway Park, it's the eighth inning. And, and for some reason, for the last couple of decades or few decades in the eighth inning, they sing Sweet Caroline, you know, just before their team comes up to bat, you know. And everybody gets into it. Sweet Caroline, bum, bum, bum. They all, you know, get into it. Everybody sings, whether you can sing or not. It's just like it's, it, it, I don't know, we're all fans and we're all together. Maybe it's any sporting event that you're at and your team wins. And in the last couple of decades, you know, it's been the thing, you know, we are the champions. And everybody, you know, belts it out and you just join in because your team won. Or, or if I had a dollar for every time that Wyatt is ever saying, you know, we, the lion sleeps tonight. And tries to get other people to sing with him. I, I don't think that's how he does. He does a little bit better than that. But anyways, if I had a dollar for every time I heard him do it and get other people to sing with him, there's something about singing together and being a part of the song. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but God knows. And, and that's probably the reason he told us to sing together. I got to tell you, my favorite, my favorite sing-along song is a baseball song. And now baseball happens to be my favorite sport. I love to watch it. When I was younger, I loved to play it. But it's not my favorite song for that reason. It's my favorite song because my son, Josh, because of this short story I'm about to tell you about Josh. When, about 10 years ago, when he was about four years old, we went to go to Albuquerque to go to the Bloom Fiesta. How many of you have been to the Bloom Fiesta? Raise your hand if you've ever been there. Okay, a bunch of you have, and you know what I'm talking about. There's long lines. And you got to park your car, and you got to get in a bus, and wait on line to get in a bus, and get in the bus, and ride over, and you got to wait in line to get through, and it's just, it's so many people. And we went to the, e I think it was the evening glow thing we went to, where the balloons, you know, glow at night. And so we were there for a long time, and the kids were young, and they were tired. And then we went back. We get, we, we go back to wait in line to get back on the bus, so the bus can take us back to our car, so we can get back in our car, drive back to the hotel. It's late at night, and we're all exhausted, and that's really hard for everybody, but especially for little kids, four years old. And so we go, and we wait in line. We finally get on the bus. We sit down on the bus. The bus starts to move, and then the bus driver says, you know, oh, we've got to, you know, there's a long line, and we're going to be sitting here for a few minutes. And everybody's like, oh, you know, and Josh was, Josh was tired, and he was kind of whiny, and, you know, he was, you know, he was like, Dad, when are we going to be there? When are we going to get something to eat? You know, which is what he says all, every day of his whole life, you know. But anyways, uh, when are we going to eat? When are we going to be there to the hotel? I'm tired. I'm tired, Dad. When? And so we're sitting next to each other on the bus, and I was trying to distract him. I started talking about baseball. And I was talking about baseball. I don't even remember what I said, but I was just trying to distract him and get him to think about baseball. And, and the bus was pretty quiet. It was late at night. It was dark in the bus. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Josh just goes, Take me out to the ball game. And I started to be like, oh, shh, Josh, you got to be quiet. But then I thought, ah, why not, you know? Take me out to the game. And a few people kind of turn around and look at him and smile. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. A couple of people join in. I don't care if we ever get back. And then pretty, all of a sudden it like spreads. The whole bus is singing. It's Root. Come on, sing with me. Root, Root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Because it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. And then the whole bus just applauded. They're like, yeah. It was this, um, just 
just crazy little moment in my life that just makes me, you know, love my son. I just, I love him, and he's just a great character. He's got a great heart, and it was just a cool moment in life. But the whole place just joined in and sang the song because of a little kid. And today, we're going to see the first group of people that was introduced to Jesus, introduced to a little baby through a song. Let's pray, and then we'll read. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this story, God, of hope. Oh, help us, God. Help us to to hear your song. Help us to hear the story of hope. Help us to read through the book of Luke and see Jesus again, fresh eyes. Some of us are are so old, we've read it a thousand times, God, and we just know what every next word is going to be. Just help us, God. Help us to sit up on the edge of our seat. Help us to stop reading the Bible to try to be good people. Help us to read the Bible to find you, the good God. And to fall in love with you all over again. Change our hearts, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's so much we could look at in Luke 1 and 2. I've just chosen these few verses starting in verse chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm just going to go through and talk to you as we read. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. I don't know if I can emphasize enough how poorly shepherds were regarded during this time. Sorry about that, Kim Chesser. Apologize. Uh, They were considered to be untrustworthy. They were often suspect as thieves. And that doesn't really make sense to us with the Bible because we think, well, Jesus is the good shepherd and, you know, David was a shepherd and the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, we think shepherds, that's good, right? But Jesus even said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. Now the hired hands, they just run off and everybody knew what they were talking about because these were suspect people during this time. Their testimony was even rejected in court during this time in history. I'm not sure what group of people I could even compare them with today, but it wouldn't be a good group of people. And why would God choose to introduce his son to the first group? Why to this lot of people? I mean, why not some upper echelon? Why not some highly respected people that everyone would believe when they heard the story? Maybe God is starting from the very beginning with those who think, I'm beyond hope. Maybe God's starting at the very beginning with those who known they, they know they've blown it with people and they certainly don't think they have a chance with God. And that God is starting with them to say, guys, I got some good news for you. This baby is for you. That's who it's for. Verse 8, it was night and they were looking after their sheep. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified i wonder maybe if you find yourself in that place like the shepherds did today i wonder if things look dark if it's nighttime in your life and you're just kind of moving through the motions of your daily routine there's not a lot of light on the horizon or hope over the hill i wonder if you're in a place where like them you're afraid i wonder I know you guys, most of you. And I know there's a lot of brokenness in this room. Starting with John Duncan. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of struggle. There's there's a lot of 
physical problems that people are having. There's a lot of relational problems. There's a lot of sin problems. There's a lot of problems in this room. There's a lot of brokenness in this room. And I want you to hear today, if you're afraid, if you're in a dark place, God loves you right where you are today. A horrible thing that's been taught at churches everywhere is that if you'll get better, if you'll do better, if you'll behave more right, God will love you more. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the works of religion. And that is a lie that the devil has twisted to try to discourage people. God loves you exactly where you are, who you are, what's going on in your life right now, today. And if you change it all, he will not love you anymore. He will love you exactly the same. Because his love is perfect. He is love. He forgives you. He has forgiveness for you. God wants to be with you. He likes you. So the message is the same today for us as it was for them. Don't be afraid. That's what I'm about to read in the next part of the text. Don't be afraid. It's the most often stated command in the whole Bible. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Over and over and over. Look it up sometime in a concordance. It's amazing. It's everywhere in the Bible. Don't be afraid. Are you afraid this morning? Don't be afraid. Listen to verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. It's for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Here's how you will know. I'm telling you the truth. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Don't be afraid. Why? Why wouldn't I be afraid? Well, because God has some good news. He's got some good news. And who is it for? Well, you look in this right here. And in verse 10, it says, first of all, it is universal. It is for all people. He says, it is for all the people. That's who he has good news for. It's for the world. But I want you to understand, sometimes we can make that far off and distant. Oh, yeah, God loves the world, I know. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I believe that. Sure, of course. But it's also personal. Because in verse 11, it says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, or for you, another version says. Jesus is for you. That's the good news. Don't be afraid. Verse 13, suddenly a large group of angels from heaven also appeared, and they were praising God. And they said, may glory be given to God in the highest heaven, and may peace be given to those on earth with whom he is pleased. Now, it doesn't say that they sang. It says they said. But they apparently were all saying the same thing together. So maybe it was a chant, and we've written songs to it. And some versions say they were praising, and there's some versions that say they sang. We're going we're to say today that they were singing, that they were either chanting a song or singing a song, that this was a song. And the song has two verses, and here they are. Are you ready? This is the whole thing today. God gets glory, verse 1. People get peace verse 2. That's it. That's the song. And even though the song is only recorded here in this part of the Bible, I wonder if maybe it's a favorite song up in heaven. I'm just imagining for a moment. 
I wonder if maybe some of the angels walk around and they're humming a tune. Because perhaps it's been sung since the very beginning. Perhaps maybe an angel wrote the song. I mean, where do songs come from? Somebody has to write them. Maybe an angel wrote down a song and sang it as a solo. I don't know. Maybe they did it on day six after creation. Boom, there it is. And one of the angels wrote a song. God gets glory. It's everywhere. Look at it. This whole thing glorifies God. And after Adam and Eve were created, maybe they wrote the second part, the second verse, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Maybe a few more were singing. Maybe when Abraham and Sarah perhaps had the promised son in old age, amazing. Maybe it's a quartet of angels by now, and they said, God gets glory, people get peace. Maybe when Moses leads the children of Israel across dry ground as the sea parts. Maybe there's a group of them singing a small chorus now. God gets glory. People get peace. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. This was 700 years before Jesus was born. And I had it marked in my Bible. Do you guys know how hard it is to find the book of Micah when you're standing in front of a couple hundred people? Uh, It's somewhere right there. There it is, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. The song was being sung for hundreds of years And by the time we get to the birth of Jesus, now all that's just my imagination, okay, about them singing in heaven, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just just saying, maybe, maybe they were. But by the time we get to Jesus, the birth of Jesus, a large group, some some versions say a great company, a, a multitude, we don't know how many, maybe it was all of them. Maybe every angel in heaven had to come and stick their face through into our part of existence. Because they want to sing along with the song. And they're not just going to sing it in heaven anymore. They want someone on earth to hear the song this time. And that's, the, that's really, i got three short points here at the end that I'm going to give you. And this is the first one. This song, it must be heard. This song must be heard. And I wonder, do you hear the song? Do you hear it? God gets glory. People get peace. Do you hear the song? I want to tell you this it's still being sung everywhere all around us every day God gets glory people get peace and if you don't hear that song I encourage you to pray pray for God to help your heart to tune into his radio station if you don't hear the song ask God to dig the wax of pessimism and doubt out of your ears so you can hear it if you can't hear the song beg God to give you eyes of faith so that you can release so that you can realize that this song is being played everywhere, every day, all over creation. I talked to two people this week, two of my friends, that are both in really tough circumstances in their life. One of them is listening to the song, the other one not so much. One of my friends said to me, I can't see God. He doesn't do anything I ask him to do. That's what one of my friends said this week. 
when he was sitting in my office. The other friend said, I want God to get glory by my actions. Both of them in tough circumstances. One can't see God. One wants God to get the glory through his actions. The first one said, my life is worth, worse now than before I met God. The second one said, no matter what happens, I'm blessed. One hears the song, God gets glory, people get peace, but the other person is not tuned in. I got to tell you, Jesus kept singing this song after the angels did. In, in chapter 7 of Luke, a little bit later in this same book, um, John asks from prison, are you really the one? Are you the one? Because this isn't working out the way we thought. And Jesus says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. He's going to be asked a little later, what's the, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? And he's going to say, love God, love people. He basically is going to tell them the song. God gets glory, people get peace. See, Jesus says, look, go tell John in prison, I'm singing the song. People are getting peace. God's getting glory. And the song must be heard. That's the first point. Verse 15, the angels left and they went into heaven. And the shepherds said to one, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. The baby was lying in the manger. The song must be heard, but the song also must be experienced. See, the shepherds, they wanted to do more than just listen and hear about it. They said, let's take a step. Let's go. Let's be a part of this story and this song. And some of you have been hearing the song sung by other people for a very long time. And today God's calling you to experience the song, to take a step of faith. He's inviting you to experience it for yourself, not to sit back and watch other people sing it. Listen to how he says it in 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do in your life, sing the song. For the glory of God. God gets glory. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another. With all wisdom. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do. Whether in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says, let peace be in your heart. God gets glory, people get peace. So let the peace of Christ be in your heart. Well, I'm say, how am I supposed to do that? You know what's going on in my life? How am I supposed to let peace, excuse me, rule? Am I getting excited here? I'm starting to spit a little bit. Sorry about that. <laughs> how am I supposed to get peace in my heart? Well, he says in these verses in Colossians chapter 3, Here's some ways. These aren't all the ways, but you could be thankful for what you have. You could read God's word. You could let the word of Christ dwell inside of you. Soak in it. Let your heart just be immersed in God's word day after day. Be with other Christians so you can be admonished by one another. Sing. 
Sing real songs. During the day, while you're in the shower, when you're in the truck, wherever you are, sing. These are ways that you can let the peace of Christ, because you're invited to join the song. God gets glory, people get peace. The song must be heard, the song must be experienced. Then finally, verse 17, after the shepherds had seen him, they told everyone, they reported what the angel had said about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The third song is, the third, third point is this, the song must be shared. We've got to share the song, not just keep it to ourselves. The shepherds told what they had seen and what they had heard. Can you do the same thing? Can you tell what you've seen? And what you've heard. If you look on your mission card, if you've got one, pick it up and look at it real quick. And on the side that says mission possible, it says your mission should you choose to accept it. We thought about having like mission impossible music playing right here behind me when we did that. Dun, 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 dun. Wait, that's, I don't know if that's the right music. Anyways, what is that? That's not it. Okay. That's mission impossible. This is mission possible right here. And here, here's your challenge for this week. How qualified do you have to be to tell people about Jesus? Go find five people who are discouraged and remind them that the Savior has come. Now, I don't recommend that you just see a sad person in Midtown that you don't know and walk up and go, the Savior's come, you know? I mean, if God tells you to, go, I guess go for it. But that's probably not the most effective. Probably not the most effective. I've heard people say, I, I would like to do that, John, but I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm going to ask you a question. How much do you think these shepherds, I was going to put an adjective with it, but I decided not to, an, a shepherd, how much do you think these shepherds knew about the Bible? I'm going to tell you, they probably didn't know much about the Old Testament. Do you think when they heard the song, God gets glory, people get peace, that they went, oh, now we know all the answers to the Old Testament. No, they didn't have any answers. They didn't know all the stuff about the Old Testament. You know what they did know? They knew what they had seen and heard, and so do you. You have your own experience in your life. I've heard people say, well, I would like to say something like that to somebody, but I don't want to drive people away. I don't want to drive somebody away. As these shepherds told their story, you think they might have had some fear that they would lose some friends or drive some people away or sound like some redneck from Oklahoma, you know? Well, then the skies opened up and this bright light shone down and there was all this singing, you know? I mean, did you think that they thought people were going to think we're weird, you know, if we tell people about this? I bet they were afraid a little bit to tell people about what they had seen and experienced. But the result didn't match their fear because people were amazed. And you know what I've found most of the time? That when I'm afraid that I might push someone away, usually I don't. Usually, most of the time, they're kind of amazed. I found that people, when we share our story naturally, they respond. When we say, we meet someone who feels alone, and we said, you know, I've felt alone before. God helped me. God helped me when I felt alone. This is how he helped me. People usually are amazed. When, when somebody's angry and we say, man, you know what, I, I've been really angry myself. And God saved me from doing something dumb when this happened or when this person or when I read. Or People are usually thankful to hear those things. When somebody that's lonely and we say, I've been, I've been so lonely, 
you know what, God, God rescued me through my church family or through the Holy Spirit or what, whatever way he's rescued you. Look for one person each day that you can share with them what you've seen and what you've heard, what you've experienced in your life. You know, in the end, even though it sort of seems counterintuitive to me and I think God needs to get a new PR rep or something when I think the first people he told were shepherds, I'm like, really? Shepherds, God? That's your choice? I guess in the end, who else would you call to see a newborn lamb? No doubt these shepherds have stood over many baby lambs. They've checked, checked to see if they have any blemishes, evaluated them to see if they're worthy of being used in the sacrificial system of that Jewish religion. And now they stand looking at the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that Lamb is going to sing this song all the way to the cross. Even though if we had been there with those shepherds, we might have expected if we're going to see the Messiah, we're probably going to go to some rich bed in a palace or we're going to be surrounded by the highest order of people. But you know that's not true. You know the story. There's no palace and there's no jewels because he came into this world through Mary and Joseph. Poor people. Common people. Working class people. Low on the social scale. And he came to sing a song. God gets the glory. And people get peace. And I want you to know this today. He came to sing the song for you. And if you need to come to him today, you come while we stand and while we sing. No palace, no jewel.